What's good, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Amazelic and TIS podcast with your host, yours truly, Jai Shields. Lots to do, lots to talk about here on this midweek program in the final week of the month of March in the year 2022. The 2022 NCAA Men's Final Four is set. We will get into that and break that down uh, here on today's show. Get into Gonzaga choking uh, once again the NCAA tournament. My apologies for no show in between the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight. My sincere apologies uh, upon that accord. And I will have a show for you guys today. And we'll have a show for you guys later this week before the uh, before Saturday's action down in the Big Easy of the uh, Final Four on Saturday evening, Saturday night. And I will get into the Will Smith, uh, Chris Rock, uh, Smack Don that took place at the 2022 uh, Academy Awards a little bit later on in the program. I got a lot to say about that. And a couple of news as far as the National Football League is concerned. Tyreek Hill, Matt Ryan, rule changes galore. Give you my thoughts on that later on in the show and I'll save Gonzaga for after the break but let's get to the final four uh which is set between North Carolina and Duke and Kansas versus Villanova um you know let's do Duke first because they are they have been along with uh, St. Peter's and shout out to them a phenomenal job phenomenal tournament run that they uh that they had that came to a screeching halt in humiliating fashion on set on Sunday afternoon outside of St. Peter's the story of the tournament has been the Duke Blue Devils during coach K's uh quote unquote last dance so to speak and Duke ha- you know d- j- has just done a phenomenal job in this tournament uh they took care of bit they took care of business on Thursday against Texas Tech beating them 73 beating them 73 to 78. They as a team shot 71% from the field in the second half. They did not miss a they did not miss a shot in the final 7 minutes and 30 seconds of the second half. They made eight consecutive three excuse me. They made eight consecutive field goals in a row to close out the game and give coach K his 100th uh, NCAA tournament win. They go on to they move on to the Elite 8 on uh Saturday afternoon and take on Arkansas and beat them 78 78 69 days you know something about Duke they are one of the more fluid more consistent and to be quite honest with you one of the better offensive uh offensive teams that in this tournament during this run they scored 78 points on Saturday they scored 78 points on Saturday night 78 points on uh on Thursday night in the second round against uh against Michigan State they scored uh I lost it let me see if I can get it back I lost it on in the second round against Michigan State they scored where the hell did it go I'm losing it on my screen here on Saturday night, or excuse me, that Sunday night against Michigan State, they scored 85. And then the first round against uh, against Cal State Fullerton, they scored 78. So it was so if you if you keep the score at home, it's 78, 85, 78, 78. And for a college basketball game, if you're scoring in the high 70s, low mid 80s, you know you do you're you're doing something right. And you're uh, you're doing you're doing something right, 
and it's a step and you're and you're one of the more prolific and better offensive teams uh in the uh, in college basketball participating in this tournament so they've been a phenomenal offensive team throughout this tournament which you can't say for a lot of other teams uh, <clears throat> Houston uh, notwithstanding scoring 44 points in their loss we'll get to them a little bit later on in the segment but they've been a phenomenal offense they've been a phenomenal offensive team throughout their NCAA tournament run and they make their free throws you know one of the things you can win and lose a lot of games in these in in this one and done win or not one and done but in these win or go home tournament games if you don't make your free throws and as a team they got to the line 17 times against Texas Tech made 15 out of 17 free throws do the math that's 88 percent free throw shooting from the stripe um, and as a team, they shot 51% of the field over more than half, which is a positive sign, which is a, uh, which is a tremendous positive as well. Not to mention Duke plays good defense. They had six blocks in the game against Texas Tech to Texas Tech's, uh, three. They spread the ball around, had 12 assists, and, and they also do a phenomenal job at crashing the, at crashing the glass and getting the defensive rebounds. 24 defensive rebounds on the night, uh, 24 defensive rebounds on the night for Duke. And although Texas Tech out-rebounded Duke in the game in general, as, as uh, Texas Tech did a little bit of a better job rebounding offensively than Duke did 12th, beating Duke in that category 12 to 5. Duke Duke got the second chance points and crashed the glass really well when the uh, when it mattered when the uh, when the, when it mattered the most. They have played some they have played some games that if you're a Duke fan whether you're a Duke graduate, a Duke alumnus, a current Duke student or you just or you're just a fan of the basketball program, you know, they they've played some games that have made your heart beat out of your chest and say, "Come on, guys, you got this, guys. Come on, just where you know your heart's beating out of your chest and you're worried about, uh, is this gonna be, is this how Coach K's career is gonna end?" But give but give that give those players a ton of credit, uh, and give give those players a ton of credit because that's a young young, very young basketball team, and they do not they do not flinch. The moment is not too big. the The most recent time you saw that a moment was too big for him was which that was that was during was down the stretch in the second half during Coach K's final uh, home game at Cameron Indoor. Ever since then, for the most part, ACC tournament and especially here, uh, especially here uh, in the NCAA tournament, the moment has not appeared too big. For, has not appeared too big for this for this young ra- roster. Banchero, the forward. 16 points, 4 of 11 from the field, 7 of 8 from the free throw line, does a phenomenal job, 12 rebounds, 3 assists, and a steal. Uh, and then, you know, and Griffin, their, their other forward, 18 points, 7 of 9 was damn near perfect from the field, 2 of 3 from beyond the arc, only got to the free throw line twice, but made both of his free throws. Williams, their center, crashed, does a phenomenal job on defense. Nine defensive rebounds, 12 in total. A fantastic job. He ended up scoring 12 points, and four out of Duke's starting five ended up uh, walking away and ending the night with uh, ending the night with a double digit. So, Duke... That you know, sometimes it's sometimes God smiles upon you, and sometimes it's just your time, and it and the stars align, and it's just a magical moment in time, you know. And you see it all the time in sports, you know. It you get the feeling with Coach K, it being it being his last ride, his final go around at it, that it is his uh, that it is his uh, that it's his time, 
No, Duke has not played in the Final Four, has not won a national championship since 2015, which, believe it or not, is a long time ago for Duke standards. Um, and and their Coach K's final year, they're back in the Final Four. Which does not surprise me by any circumstances because I had a feeling. I turned to my dad. We both sat down and watched the uh, UNC Duke game on the first Saturday of the month at Cameron Indoor. I, I turned to my dad. I said, watch. The, Duke's going to go Duke's gonna go ahead and go on a Final Four run here. Swear to God. As God, as God and he be my witness. I turned to him. I said, Dad, you watch. Duke's going to sit up here and fool around and, and, and make a deep run in the tournament and go to the Final Four. I said they'll win a championship, but I they were going to be in the Final Four. And lo and behold, one, two, three, four, five wins later, they're at the Final Four. Give Coach K all the credit in the world. And the thing that also uh, touches your heart and uh, and that you appreciate just just as a sports fan alone in and of itself, what you appreciate about about this run that Duke's going on is that every single person on that team, from the coach the coaching staff, uh, the coaching staff, the players, everybody, is that it's all a bunch of selfless group of guys. That it that nobody that it's it's a we over me thing. It's team. Nobody is worried about their own little personal shine or their own little personal, uh, you know, career stature. It's about the team. Coach K wants it. Coach Coach K is like, listen. Now, would he would he love to win a championship on his way out the door? Absolutely. Who who am I kidding? But you get the feeling when you hear him speak at the press conferences, the end game interviews, which, which is a complete waste of time. Uh, you, but you've heard throughout this tournament run, you hear in coach K's voice and with his demeanor that he wants his players to win a championship. He feels like that it's his duty before he says goodnight to make sure that every single one of those kids that are in my age demographic, 19, 18, 19, 20 year old, 20 year old young college students that, that they feel what it's like to be a national champion, to play, to play on that final four Saturday in that foot in a, essentially in a football stadium packed to the gills, millions watching on TV and playing on that Monday night to win a national championship. He wants to make sure before he says goodbye that they experience that feeling. He wants to win a national championship, not for himself. If Coach K loses on Saturday, knock on wood, nothing happens to Coach K's legacy. Nothing negative happens to it. He wants it for his players. He wants his players to experience what so many players in the in the in the 90s and the 2000s, 2010s have experienced on those on those great championship Duke teams. He wants it for them. And the players, in turn, want it for their coach. A truly touching, heartwarming thing. I understand Duke's not everybody's cup of tea. That they're not. That they're not everybody's forte. That they're viewed as the New England Patriots, Dallas Cowboys, Los Angeles Lakers, New York Yankees of college basketball. I understand it. I get that. And Coach K isn't everybody's forte either. I get that. I understand that as well. 
but just the general love and camaraderie and the brotherhood that's amongst the players and the love that Coach K has for his players is really touching and really heartwarming to see. Coach K wants the wants to win a championship for his players just as much and just as hard as his players want to win a championship for their coach. Touching. Touching. I mean, you heard after the games, you know, like, this is the GOAT right here. This, this is the GOAT. Coach K is like, oh, no, 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 shut up. I don't want to hear all, all the GOAT talk, you know? And he get, talks to Tracy Wilson after the game. He's like, this ain't about me. This is all about them. This is about the greatness and the mental toughness and the grit of these players. He get, he gives them the spot. He's like, enough about me. Tracy, you interview them because they're the reason why they're going. I mean... It's a it's 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 a it's a thing of beauty, and if you were and if you were the crying type, it'd bring a tear to your eye. Seeing that, I mean, hearing how Coach K talks about his players after every single last one of these wins, he's he 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 sounds like a proud grandfather. A proud grandfather, and he's and, he, and he's got his fair share of grandkids. But he, but he, 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 he sounds like, and, 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 and comes off as a proud grandfather, which is very touching. You know, it's just, it, it comes across as, as just, just that, that proud patriarchy type leadership looking down on his young, his, his, uh, his, his, his young protégés. And just having that sense of pride. And I believe I believe Coach K had I believe all Coach K had was daughters, if I have that wrong, I apologize. But you get the fin of every single player that has come through that Duke program over the forty two years he's been there, he looks at every single one of those players that he's had past, past and currently in the present. He looks at them as as if they're his sons. Special, and I've been pulling for Duke during this entire. Now I'm especially pulling for him because my bracket went to hell uh, Thursday, Thursday and Friday night. So you know, so if it got to a point where I had to root against Duke, it would have been hard for me too because I want to see Coach K go out on top. But now because my bracket screwed, Duke all the way. And this Duke North Carolina Final Four game is going to be a thing of beauty. I mean, you want to talk. I mean, you want to talk about just one of the greatest rivalries in sports. The greatest one, one, the greatest one of the greatest rivalries in sports. One of the greatest rivalries in college sports, and one and definitely the best rivalry in college basketball between Duke and North Carolina. They've met up dozens, hundreds of times. Throughout their history in the regular season, yet this is the first time that they'll ever meet in the NCAA tournament. And the fact that it's Coach K's last year when it's happening makes it all the more special and and and, and crazy. It is, you know, you go through the great rivalry. You know, you, the the Steelers and the Ravens have played in an AFC Championship game. The Yankees and Red Sox have played for the AL pennant many a times. Giants and Dodgers have played. Have played have played in the postseason many a times. It's just a you. It's 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 good for the sport. 
good for the sport. You know, um, give me, give me, give me, um, you know, the, the, uh, of course you got Celtics and, um, Celtics and Lakers in the NBA. You got the uh, you got the Knicks and the Seventy Sixers. I mean, you, you got the 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 Knicks and the Bulls back in the nineties. I mean, the what what puts the great rivalries in sports over the top is when they play each other in the postseason, and there's high stakes. And you and what you have in Duke, North Carolina, if you're a college basketball fan. And if you're a sports fan, you can't ask for anything else than Duke, North Carolina, in a final four. The only the only way it the only way you could match it is if they met up in a national championship. That's the only way you can match it. If it's Duke, North Carolina national championship for all the more, that's the only way you can match it. But for them to play in the, play together in the final four, that 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 that's pretty that's pretty damn cool. Pretty damn cool. Caleb Love, speaking of North Carolina, was just absolutely sensational on uh, on Friday night. Tw- after he couldn't shoot shoot the ball off a boat into the ocean in the first half, goes off for twenty seven points in the sec in the in the second half to get the uh, Tar Heels the Elite Eight. I mean, what a sensational job he did on he had on Friday night, and 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 the great Iron Eagle coming up with all the calls. Love is all around. Love is all you need uh, from this. Like he was he was having fun with it, but Caleb Love in the second half. Could not do no wrong. It was absolutely sensational in uh, in North Carolina's Sweet 16 victory. In North Carolina's Sweet 16 victory on for, on Friday night to get themselves to the Elite Eight, where they just absolutely punched uh, punched a St. Peter's in the mouth on on Sunday, but. Getting back to North Carolina, sensational in their seventy-three sixty-six victory against UCLA. Uh, they shot uh, they shot forty percent as a team from the field. Uh, seventy-five made seventy-five percent of their free throws. Out rebounded UCLA forty-three to thirty-four. They were uh, fantastic at getting the offensive rebounds. Spread the wealth all over the place. Um and uh and just and just give Caleb Love just thirty points, thirty points, four assists, three rebounds. Baycott, their their star their star forward, what a sensational job he did attacking the glass with fifteen boards on the day. R.J. Davis, their guard, twelve points, twelve points, seven rebounds, three assists, and Brady Mannix scoring thirteen points. Off of eight rebounds and two assists on the night as well. North Carolina, of course, goes to the uh, goes to the Elite Eight. Like I said, aforementioned against St. Peter's, and the game wasn't even. I mean, it, twenty minutes into the game, it was like, oh, the St. Peter's magical run is going is is damn sure going to come to a is going to come to a screeching halt here this afternoon. Uh, or that afternoon against North Carolina, and there's 69 to 49 beatdown. I mean, Carolina couldn't do no wrong. They didn't. They didn't shoot great from the free throw line. They didn't shoot great from the free throw line, and their three point shooting was abysmal, six of 22. But when you out rebound uh, the Peacocks, 49 to 33, and you and you got more. You pad your assist. You pad your assists. 
uh, and you and you just punch them right in the proverbial mouth, right from the word go, and and be, be and end up becoming the only team throughout the NC throughout this NCAA tournament that has been able to find a to find a uh, solution to stopping St. Peter's and keeping the game from that one, two, three, four, five, six uh, point differential. You're gonna go out there and blow uh, St. Peter's out of the water by 20 points uh, to set the stage for a uh, for what I hope to be an absolute classic, one of the greatest college basketball games of all time, Duke North Carolina in the uh, in the fi- in the uh, Final Four, and then you got an- and then you got the other game that is gonna get that to be honest, well not to be honest, it's just the way it is, is gonna be overshowered by um by Duke North Carolina is the matchup between Villanova and Kansas and Villanova having uh having uh having the torn Achilles injury is uh is is a huge blow huge 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 blow for uh for uh, for Villanova they their ch- their odds going into that game against Kansas takes a huge hit cuz he's one of the better players and uh and and their roster is not all and their roster is not all that deep. Um, they you know they get, they rotate about five, about six plus guys or whatever, and they leave it at that. But they are well, but they're a well balanced team. They're a fundamentally sound basketball team. They don't beat them. They don't beat themselves. They, you know they fight, scratch and claw to get ever to get every rebound. Although they shot twenty eight percent of the team. Uh, from the field, from the field, they were they were just a- able to capitalize out rebound out rebounding Houston in the game, uh thirty or out rebounding Houston in the game from a defensive perspective, and uh, they and they they were they were they were able to keep the turnovers at a, at minimum as they possibly could. Their largest lead of the night was eleven. Houston never let in the game, and it it all and like I said with Duke, it all comes down to free throw shooting. Villanova's fifteen to fifteen from the strike. Houston's nine to fourteen. And when you're Houston, you can't make your jump. Sh- when you can't make your jump shots, your three point shooting stinks. It is imperative that when you get your guys to the free throw line, that they have to make their free throws and not leave any points on the table. Houston was nine to fourteen. Villanova is fifteen to fifteen. And as per, and as for and as for Kansas, I mean that was Kansas's. Uh, First twenty-plus point win in the Elite Eight since nineteen fifty-seven, when Wilt Chamberlain started at center, and it is also the largest Elite Eight win by any team in thirty years. That of the Rock, the uh, the Rock Chalk Jayhawks uh, of Kansas University taking care of business against Miami 70, 76 to fifty. Uh, you go through the box score of that game. I mean, Kansas just absolutely went off in the second half. The halftime score of that game was 35-29 Miami. They went out there and kicked Miami in the face in the second half, outscoring them 47-15. to I mean, they just had an absolute field day. McCormick 6-7 from the field, damn near perfect. 3-4 from the stripe, 15 points, 4 rebounds on the night. Uh, Wilson, their forward, uh, racked up 11 boards, one steal, three assists on the afternoon, and it was just all Kansas in the second half. And the fact that Miami got very, 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 very flat—I mean, it was a—it was a tsunami of momentum change 
from my, from Miami in the first half to Kansas in the second half. And it just got to a point where 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 every single time Kansas opted to shoot the ball, whether it was mid whether it was mid range or beyond the arc, it seemed it seemed like they they'd get on these hot cheeks where they just wouldn't miss. They where it just every single shot they took, the ball the ball went in. Damn it, every single one. They shot fifty percent from the field as a team, and five of fourteen from three. If I can get it to you, I'd love to know what they sh- what they shot from three in the second half. Because it seems like to me, every single time they sh- they shot a three in the second half, it went in. I mean, they were clicking on all cylinders in the second half as Bill Self and the Kansas Jayhawks get themselves to another Final Four to match up against Villanova. We'll break down those two Final Four matchups coming up later in the week. But your Final Four is set. Duke versus North Carolina and what I would anticipate to be an absolute classic phenomenal job by Hubert Davis, uh, Roy Williams' protege in his first year uh, as the head coach of that basketball program to get, North, to get North Carolina to rematch against Duke, rubber match North Carolina, lost to Duke in their building, North Carolina beat Duke in, at, uh, at Cameron Indoor, it's the rubber match. The only the only way you can top this is if it's a national championship game. But it's Duke, North Carolina for a third time this season, first time in the history of these two programs in NCAA tournament play, and they meet up in the Big Easy for the Final Four. You gotta love sports. Take a break. We'll get to a team that can't seem to never get to the Final Four, and although they made it last year, and more ineptitude. From the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Take a break. We'll get to them. I'm a Telecom TIS podcast. Welcome back to the Yamatelica TIS podcast. I wanted to set this segment aside because I wanted to make sure I really got my point across when it came to this program. And that is the, uh, and that has everything to do with the Gonzaga Bulldogs and how they have, uh, and how they once again have spit the bit and vomited all over themselves in the NC in the NCAA tournament and Mark Few. They lost their Sweet 16 game to Arkansas by the final score of 74 to 68. They, as a basketball team, shot 37% from the field, 23% from three. Uh and uh, they albeit they were 75% at the free throw line. Uh, they were only managed to, to get eight points off the turnovers to Arkansas's 10 and losing yet another NCAA tournament game and failing to make it to the uh, Final Four. And, and once again, Mark Few, uh, no championship when it comes to uh, Mark Few and the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Here is my two cents on Gonzaga. This is a team, you know what they are? They are the Washington Nationals of college basketball before they won a championship. 
They are the Green Bay Packers of college basketball in the terms of the last couple of seasons. They are the Toronto Raptors before of college basketball before they won a championship. They are that team that can have a fantastic, successful, and in last year's case, record-breaking regular season. Yet every single time they play tournament games in the month of March, the clock strikes midnight and they turn back into a pumpkin and they have no championship to, to show for it. They cruise, cruise through that weak, weak West Coast Conference. They cruise through it. They don't have to worry about going through the doldrums of premier, top-notch, hard-nosed conference play that Duke, that North Carolina, that Tech, that Virginia Tech, Wake Forest, Notre Dame have to do in the ACC. That the Ohio States, the Purdue's, the Wisconsin's, the Michigan States, the Michigans have to put have to go through in the Big Ten, or the Texases, and the Texas Techs, in the Big Twelve. Or the Tennessees and the Arkansas and the Ace in the SEC. They don't have to go through all that. They play in a subpar in the grand scheme of NCAA Division One A men's basketball play. They play in a subpar conference. They don't play in the Pac-12 with Arizona, UCLA. They're they're what they're what the old phrase they're what you call a big fish in a small pond. And when I look at Mark Few dating back to ninety nine and two thousand, I see two Final Four appearances. Two. No national championships. Jalen Suggs made the shot of a lifetime to knock off UCLA last year and they were completely flat as a freaking pancake against Baylor in a championship game weren't competitive in the slightest were pathetic no national championships and in his time since he's been at Gonzaga, he's made the NCAA tournament consecutively these this many times. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two. 23. 23 consecutive 
NCAA tournament bids, two Final Fours, zero national championships. That is, that is a problem. That is, that's not good enough. I'm sorry, that's not good enough, and that is completely, completely unacceptable. When you play in that weak conference where you are damn near guaranteed an a NCAA tournament bid every single year with you being the big fish in a small pond. And for you in those 23 seasons to only get to two Final Fours and, one, and zero national championships is indefensible. Because Mark Fufrall, the credit that he gets... Playing that weak conference where he doesn't have to, where they don't have to wear each other out in the regular season in November, in November, December, January, and February, like the rest of the college basketball world has to. His team lays an egg every single time, and until the 2016-17 season, Mark Few had never made the Final Four. He went 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 consecutive final, or excuse me, 17 consecutive NCAA tournament appearances without a final four. That in and of itself is inexcusable. You make it to the NCAA tournament 17 consecutive times and can't win and can't make it to one lousy freaking Final Four. And you hear all the talk about Gonzaga this, Gonzaga that. They're a big bad program. It should be taken seriously. Up with the UCLA's and the and, and the Dukes and the North Carolinas and the Baylors and the and the and the uh, and the and the um and the uh, and the and the Virginias of the world and Auburn, you hear all this talk about how how Gonzaga should be in the upper class of college basketball of college basketball with the big boys hanging with the big boys. Two Final Four appearances, no national championships, and in twenty plus years, is is not how you get to Duke, North Carolina, UCLA, uh, Baylor. Virginia, I'm just naming teams that have just won national championships. Villanova, Kansas. Mm-mm. Not, with, not, with, not, with, not without some hardware. And by hardware, I'm not counting regional championships. I'm talking about best in the entire nation. And he's been there since 1999-2022-23 seasons. He's only got two Final Fours and zero national championships to show for it, and went 17 consecutive seasons without even a Final Four appearance. I could care less that Mark Few is uh, is 658 and 129 with an 87 with an 836 winning percentage since he's been the head man at Gonzaga. I could care less. I'm not interested. Your job. I mean, it, I mean, eventually it's got to fall on the head and shoulders and at the feet of the head coach, because the players and the the rosters change and the players come and go. The common denominator, the constant, is Mark Few. Bayhine's been to more Final Fours, Patino. 
obviously Coach K, Roy Williams, all these coaches that people who love Mark Few love to put him into that conversation. Two Final Fours in 23 years. And no national championships. I, did, I, 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 I argue otherwise. Because I could get it and I could somewhat understand. If you played in a conference that's grueling, that's cutthroat. Where every conference game is, is like the national championship. You play in the West Coast Conference. Layup. A weak, pathetic walk in the park of a conference. You're guaranteed an NCAA tournament appearance every single year. Automatic. With, without question, without hesitation. Automatic. And yet the body of work... Subpar. 26 and 31-32, and 31-1 with the one loss being in a national championship game, 28-4. Only two seasons in which they've had, in which Gonzaga under Mark Few has had double-digit losing seasons. Two. And he had an undefeated regular season in 2020 and 2021. Not good enough, and it's unacceptable. They choke again. They choke on their own spit again. It's a results-oriented business. When you play in that week conference, getting to the NCAA tournament on a yearly, year-in, year-in, and year-out basis is not good enough. Get to Final Fours consecutively. Don't go 17 years without making one. Make one and go one, two, three years without making another one. Make one play a classic game to advance a national championship and then embarrass embarrass yourselves and not even show up and get destroyed and ran out of the building. And then show up the following year and lose lose in the Sweet 16. That, that, That is completely, completely unacceptable. Mark Few wants to be considered one of the game's all-time great college basketball head coaches. Win a national championship next year. And the one either the year after that or or two years after that. Because all I see from Gonzaga, big fish, small pond. I will sound off on Will and Jada back after this.
Welcome back to the Amatelica TIS podcast. Well, I teased it at the top of the program, and let's just go and get it on out the way because I'm sick of hearing about it. I'm sick of talking about it, and sooner I get my two cents about this issue off my chest, uh, you know, we can move this program along, and my brain can attend to some other things. What occurred <clears throat> Saturday? Uh, excuse me, Sunday night at the 94th Oscars at the Dolby Theater in Los Angeles was completely, completely reprehensible. First off, let me begin with this premise. For the last, I don't know how many weeks it's been, for since, we'll just say for the sake of conversation, since September 10th, I have been going to bed in the late hours of Sunday night, sometimes in the wee hours of Monday morning with Sunday night football, preparing for school, getting the show together, getting the show organized, writing down uh, thoughts that pop into my head at the 11th hour, writing down on a pen and paper, you know, get gathering stats, gathering information for me to prepare for this for this show. And I've been going to bed relatively late on Sunday nights particularly, essentially since September 10th. Which was the first Sunday of the of the new fo- of the 2021 football season, and and you include that with the with the playoffs, the championship game, the conference championship game, and of course the Super Bowl where I couldn't sleep. And then I believe the week after the the week after that I went to bed late because he had the NBA All Star game. The week after that I went to bed late because I was dragged to a new edition concert that, to be quite honest with you, I could have done without seeing. But that's neither here nor there. It threw it threw off my Sunday schedule because Sunday, you know, it comes a certain hour in the day on the Sunday where you want to relax. Kind of, kind of, you want to relax. You want to mellow out a little bit and start getting into. Uh, brace yourself that Monday. That Monday is one sleep away. You know, brace yourself ready for the new work week. That was thrown way off the loop. Getting dragged to a new edition concert at the UMBC uh, campus. Got home, ate dinner ultra late, showered, and I was and I got in, and I got in bed uh, at about one o'clock in the morning. That was on February. 20 that was on February 27th the week the week after the week after that I I remember going to bed at a reasonable time and the 13th I had I had uh I had spring break so it wasn't an issue so here it is tonight no no check that last no check that last uh Sunday on the 20th I stayed up till one o'clock in the morning remember I screamed and yelled last week about the TCU Arizona game that started at 10 o'clock at night that didn't end to a quarter to one going into overtime the 13th I had no problems because I had spring break that week and the sixth I forget what I was doing the the week of March the 6th but having said all of that my plan on the night of March 27th on Sunday was to I knew when I got that morning there was only going to be two college basketball NCAA tournament games on. The first one was going to start at 2, second one's going to start at 5, leading to 60 minutes, and then there's nothing else to watch the rest of the night. And I knew that, so I said, well, say, all right, great. So, which means I can, you know, be in bed by about 10.30, quarter to 11, 11 o'clock at night, and we won't have any issues. 
I eat my dinner. I believe I had myself a bowl of ice cream a little bit afterwards. I'm sitting at the kitchen counter watching reruns of The Office on Peacock until my mother comes sprinting into the kitchen and says, did you see it? What's Twitter saying about it? I said, Twitter saying about what? Well, you get turn on the TV, Chris Rock. Turn on the TV. Turn on the TV. Chris Rock comes out. I said, all right, fine. And then he goes to Jada Pinkett Smith, says what he has to say. I look at him and say, no, Jada didn't like that. I had no idea. Swear, swear on my life. I had no idea what the hell happened. So, I'm, so my mother ended up recording it because she loves the Oscars and the movies and all that foolishness. So I'm watching it in quote-unquote real time for me. And the first thing I noticed when Chris Rock made, Hey, Jada, I love you. G.I. Jane 2, can't wait to see it. And I saw that Jada rolled her eyes and had like a disgusted look on her face. And for whatever the reason... I, I noticed that. I said, oh, she didn't like that. And all of a sudden, Will Smith walks up, smacks him right in the face. And I was like in a state of, what the hell did I just see? And everybody else, for that matter, in America was in a state of, what the hell did we just see? Was in an utter state of shock what happens social media blows up people are investigating speculating left and right giving their opinions immediate reaction all over the place and now I'm and now like I'm drawn in because because once I see that uh, uh, you, you got me forever emotionally emotionally and, phys- and physically invested in it. Now I gotta stay up and see the end of this dopey thing to see if there's gonna be a statement made, to see if Will's gonna win his Oscar, his reaction. So so I, I watched the from that point forward I saw the rest of the show. And I'm not a movie guy. Those of you that know me, I'm not a movie person. TV over mo- TV. I'm a TV. I give me a good TV show to watch rather than a, rather than the movies. That's that's just my personal forte. That's my prerogative. But and and I and I and I don't watch the Oscars. I saw it. I saw like the first 10, 15 minutes of it because I had a clear blue sky. Beyonce shocked the world and perform and uh, performed at a local tennis court in Compton. Of course, relating to the King uh, Richard movie with Ven- with uh, with Venus and Serena. I saw that. I saw you know they introduced uh, Wanda Sykes, Amy Schumer, and and uh, Re- Regina. And uh, Regina Hall, Regina King, I always get them mixed up. I believe Regina Hall, and I and I saw them get introduced, and and you got you know had the funky uh, house band that was playing. All of a sudden, I see DJ Khaled run up on stage, and if you follow me on Twitter, which I suggest you do, by the way, at the J Shield, you know I, I tweeted out DJ Khaled, sit your ass down. But anyway, but okay, how you doing? Keep it moving. Saw Beyonce went on to the next thing. Then all of a sudden, I'm emotionally invested in about a few hours later, and it's like, I, I, I got to see how this ends. I, I got to see the end of it, and I got to see, you know, people's reaction, people's reactions, this, that, and the other. Uh, and I'm watching, and I'm like, okay, the award show is over. Where do I get, like, the 
post awards quote unquote recap post game show and in essence so i'm running over to etv i'm going all over the place to see what the heck went down between chris rock and will smith and let me just say it right now and i have talked about this ad infinitum uh it's been a hot topic of conversation within my household i discussed it uh, at school at uh, down at Morgan State University a bunch I've seen all over social media Kevin Samuels is giving his opinion Mad Dog Russo is giving his opinion Stephen A. Smith, Shannon Sharp Skip Bayless uh, Molly Karam um, you, you name it everybody, the people on The View everybody with Joe Madison Howard Stern Everybody with a microphone and or a platform to speak and give their opinions on 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 issues, just in ge- just generalizing issues, ha- gave, gave their two cents, and I'm here to give you mine. Will Smith ought to be embarrassed of himself. He ought to be embarrassed of himself. Let me get this straight. It's the Oscars. Millions of people worldwide are watching. Nationwide on ABC, worldwide on whatever network across the world was broadcasting the Oscars. The world's best, brightest, most talented celebrities are in attendance. Wearing their Sunday best. Women in the gowns and in the nice in the in the formal dresses, men in tuxedos, wearing their Sunday best. Chris Rock, who I like, who I love, who I find hysterical, one of my favorite comedians of all time, up there with the likes of uh, up there with the likes of Bernie Mac, Dave Chappelle, and um, and uh, and uh, George Carlin. One of the greatest comedians to ever walk the face of this earth. Who's a presenter. One the host. He was a presenter. And he goes out there and makes a tasteless joke. I didn't find it funny. Partly because it went over my head because I had no idea what the hell G.I. Jane was. Went over my head, didn't laugh, didn't find it funny. Now I know what it is. It's like it's it's kind of it's like a, it's a cheap throwaway joke. And you could argue like how it certain did that is beneath Chris Rock of making because it really wasn't even that funny. And I guarantee, in retrospect, if Chris Rock were to do it all over again, probably he he wouldn't. But it's a cheap throwaway joke. Audience laughs. Ha ha he he. Camera goes to Will Smith. He's chuck. He's laughing, yucking it up, teeth grinning, you know, belly laugh, head going back, whole nine yards. But it was ironic that when I saw it for the first time, how I noticed the look on Jada's face, and that look that Jada gave set off this whole fiasco. And for Will Smith, in front of the world, in front of his fellow actors, actresses, public figures, and celebrities alike, 
for him to get up on stage and slap Chris Rock the way he did on international television and to say what he said afterwards is completely unacceptable. Completely unacceptable. Because if you were going to play the card of, well, he's sticking up for his wife because his wife was disrespected. No. No, 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 no. If Will, if the camera went to Will Smith after Rock made the joke and Will Smith had a look of extreme anger on his face, maybe, maybe, I'll buy it. But that wasn't the case. Will Smith was... Will Smith reacted the way he did because Jada pulled his puppet strings and either gave him a look or said something and said, hey, go up there and handle business. Something must have happened that we did not see in between the camera going on Will's face and the slap where Jada either either gave Will a look, said something to him, or Will looked at Jada, his mood swing swung at the snap of a finger, and, and, and gave him a reason to do what he did. Which is, which is completely, completely reprehensible. Reprehensible. And for everybody that is on quote-unquote Team Will, and you know who you are. I talked to a ton of them at school that didn't have a freaking clue in the world. Tiffany Haddish screaming and yelling into a microphone at ET after after the award show. For anybody, anybody that thinks Will Smith was in the right, let me ask you this. Did you know that Will Smith committed a crime? Did you know that? Did you know that Will Smith not only broke a code of conduct at the academy as in and of their own constituency, did you know that he broke a law? He assaulted another grown-ass man. Black man, no less. On international television over something that he slash Jada did not like that is the message that you want to send to the masses that you can resort to physical violence because somebody said something or made a joke that you didn't like that's the message for the Tiffany Haddishes of the world and the Nicki Minaj's, that's the message that you that you that you all are okay with being sent to the public, to the masses, to the people that aren't worth millions of dollars, to the people that aren't 
public figures, to the people that aren't celebrities, to the people that don't have the resources and the wealth around them and the various platforms at their disposal that Will Smith has. Because let me tell you something right now. If that were to happen at a regular old comedy club across good old U.S. US of A, the United States of America, and somebody came on stage to sl and slapped the performer on stage because they, because they made a joke that they didn't like, you give it five to ten minutes. Or the, until a cop car pulls up, you see the blue and red lights outside of the windows, and the cop barges in, interrupts the show, and arrests the person that assaulted the performer on stage. In any other venue, Will Smith gets arrested. Any other venue. If Will Smith came up and did that at a baseball game or a basketball game because a player on the court heckled him, he'd get he would have gotten his ass would have gotten thrown out. If it's any other regular human being that does that to an athlete, a fellow comedian, or a singer, they get their their behind gets thrown out in a heartbeat. Because let's be fair. This is the message that you people that are defending Will and making Will Smith out out to be mis uh, out to be Superman. That's the message that you guys want to send. That it's okay for him to go up to another human being, a grown man, and slap him in a public venue in a public forum because he said something that, not that Will Smith didn't like or found disrespectful, that his wife found disrespectful because Will Smith laughed at the joke along with everybody else he laughed he wasn't pissed he wasn't angry he wasn't cursing Will Smith underneath his breath rolling his eyes like his wife did he laughed and for Will Smith you take things into his own hands and to allow himself to be weaponized by his wife, who clearly had an issue with Chris Rock's joke, is completely disgraceful. It's sad. It's pathetic. And it is egregious to the highest order. If you're Will Smith, who's worth millions, who's made millions, here's the thing that I also have an issue with. Where was this energy from Will Smith when his wife was cheating on him? Where was this energy? Because the person he should have slapped the piss out of was the buddy of his son, Jaden, who's running around all over the place sleeping with his wife. That's who he really... Should have took his anger out on. Not Chris Rock. For making a dopey stupid joke. Grow up. Grow up.
gonna get mad at Chris Rock? Are you serious? And you don't even have the dignity to punch him. You slapped him in the face like a punk. And one of the greatest ways of disrespecting another man is either spitting on him or slapping him. And then Will Smith is up here and slaps him, and he walks away with his hand on his belt, like 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 he's on like he's on the set of Bad Boys Two, like he did something. Give me a freaking break! You do not act like that on international television. You don't do it. It's unacceptable. It's unprofessional, and his high punch should have gotten dragged out of the theater almost instantaneously. What? What? Where? The academy. I mean, what are you guys doing? He comes up and slaps Chris Rock on international television, and you allow him to return back to his seat. Stay in attendance during the rest of the awards shit ceremony. And we should just continue to show like nothing like nothing happened. Like it was a, like it was an illusion. Like we didn't see what we just saw. Seriously? Like we didn't just see another uh, like we didn't just see a grown man commit assault. Towards another grown man. Caught on live television. And the academy is like, oh, well, what are we going to do? No! Somebody, I don't care if it was members of the academy or the Los Angeles Police Department. Somebody should have pulled up in that theater. I don't give a crap if it interrupted a ceremony and when it was shown on on international television live for everybody to see. Who cares? Somebody should have should have busted the doors in that building and said, "Hold on, time out, stop the show." Will Smith, you're under arrest. You're under arrest for for for, for assaulting uh, for assaulting another person. Read him his rights, ask him to put his hands behind his back, slap the bracelets on him, and he spends his night in jail with the Tom Ford tuxedo on. Because if it was any other human being, it would have happened to them. Within a snap of a finger. Arrested, read the riot act, and thrown in jail, and he can spend a night in jail. For the next 24 hours. Because it's Will Smith and he's a celebrity and he's worth millions. And oh, by the way, he won an Academy Award. He gets a pass. Seriously? Should, again, he should have checked the dude that was sitting there running around fooling with his wife. Instead of picking on Chris Rock like a punk. Because all it is, is that he got tired of the disentanglement jokes, he got tired of the memes, he got tired of, 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 of being made the ass of every joke, he got, he got tired of the open marriage allegations. 
And all it did was just build and build and build and build and build and build and build. And like a pressure cooker, super pow, he exploded. Bash ain't because something Chris said about it, about them and Jada in 2016 Oscars. I mean, Will Smith, with all due respect, man, you're a grown man in your 50s. If you are still pressed over something that Chris Rock said in an opening monologue of an Oscars dating back six years ago, you need to get some serious help. And for the people that said, well, well, Will Smith was in the right. No, he's not. He was defending his honor. Nonsense defending her honor. Because if he's that upset, that bothered, he should have had the look of, 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 of anger and discontentment that his wife did. But he didn't. He laughed. So it comes across as disingenuous anger, which is part of the reason why you got the cynics out there that think that the whole thing was staged. Because, because it doesn't add up. You don't laugh at a joke a couple seconds go by and he go up on stage, slap somebody who made the joke and then say twice loudly, uh, excuse me, loudly yelling at the top of your lungs, keep, your, keep my wife's name out your effing mouth. With a, with, with a, with a strong angered tone behind it. Normal people don't do crap like that. My goodness gracious. I don't care what Chris Rock said. If it was me personally, would I have made the joke? No. I would have had to wear a thought of notice. She's got alopecia. She's sensitive. About so I would have laid low with it. And this is me talking. I would have laid low with it. I didn't think it was that malicious, but I would have laid low with it. Especially in this day and age. I would have laid low. But one like, but but at at the same time, it's not like Chris Rock went out there and called Jada a slut for sleeping with a dude that's thirty years younger than than she is. He didn't say that. He was like, Jada, love you. G.I. Jane too can't wait to see it. I mean, come on. And it's not like that Jada Pickett Smith is just some random celebrity. She and Chris worked together for not one, not two, but three Madagascar movies. Marty and Gloria. They know each other. So it wasn't like Chris Rock was being malicious and picking on a random celebrity that was sitting in the front row. They know each other. They work together on three movies at the minimum that I at least know of. Have some freaking self-awareness and a self-control not to lose your damn mind because Chris Rock made a joke that your wife didn't like. You're in your 50s, Will Smith, not five. Grow up and have some self-control and some self-awareness. You idiot. My goodness gracious.
And when and when did Will Smith find religion? His acceptance speech was filled with horse manure. It was filled with a bunch of bull crap. When did he find religion? Talking about thanking God and blessed and my purpose and bringing people together to spread love. You just assaulted a man on national television. You're going to sit up and have the hoods for the sit and talk about love? Shut up! And it, it just goes to show of his own narcissism, his own stupidity, his own self-righteousness, and, his, and, and, and because of his own ego, that he ruined his own night. Because here's what you all don't understand. Nobody cares about the fact that he won the Oscar. For King Richard. Nobody late, late late Sunday night cared. Nobody on Monday cares. Nobody on Tuesday cares. Nobody in 2047 will care. What they will care about and what they will remember is Chris Rock, or excuse me, is Will Smith on international television assaulting another grown man. Another grown black man, no less. That's what people will remember. That's what people will talk about. That's something that will be shown on a clip ad infinitum until the day Will Smith dies. All because of what? Trying to, trying to get in good favors with Jada to prevent her from dreaming about Tupac that night? For what? She weaponized, she weaponized them. Weaponized. Said, I'm pissed off, but because I'm, because I'm a woman, I have no guts to confront Chris about it. Here, here, well, you're going to sit up and try to, and be a simp and try to kiss up to me you, with the entanglement with August Fools. Here, you go up there, up there and handle it. Will Smith smacks him and he's disappearing. He walks back to his wife like, like he's Mr. Big and Bad on the streets of West Philly. What a dope. He hijacked the event and stole everybody's moment, including his own. Nobody cared about, about Questlove winning, winning the Oscar for Best Documentary. Nobody cared. Nobody paid attention. He hijacked and ruined the night. Ruined it. The three hosts didn't do, didn't do a bad job. Wanda, Regina, Amy did do a bad job. They tarnished their night. They tarnished everybody else that won. Every other award winner, they tarnished their night. Questlove included. And he, ironically enough, ruined his own. It was a disgrace on Sunday night. And then, because the Academy has no guts, they don't allow Chris Rock to face the music and meet the media after the award ceremony is over. So let me get this straight. He causes a fracas, causes a major fracas, blows up 
practically blows up Twitter, blows up the internet, and he's not allowed to face the music after the fact. I mean, you must be kidding me. You must. And let me ask you a question. You think he would have pulled that foolishness if it was The Rock, Kevin Hart, or Dave Chappelle hosting? Not a chance. Not a chance in America. I mean, you got to be honest, folks. You got to call it like you see it. Got to be fair. Got to see it right down the middle. That is weak. I mean, that is completely weak and, and gutless. Weak and gutless on both of their parts. Both of them. And if Jada is that sensitive about her alopecia, she should know this being a celebrity, being in the business a long time, Having worked with Chris, she should know this. You got two options. Sit in the upper deck or don't come. He's a comedian. His job is to poke fun and jab at the million dollar public figures who are going to have their behinds kissed for three hours, a lot of whom are going to win awards. Whole point of having comedians there. It's to provide a levity to the situation and what is more often not a boring, tedious ceremony. He's the he's supposed to humble them a little bit before before they before they get showered with a bunch of love and appreciation and shiny trophies. As he's a comedian, that's what he's supposed to do. And Jada, having worked with Chris in the past, should know that. Sit in the upper deck or don't come. Nobody had a gun to both of their heads and said you have to come. And I'll sit up and give me the argument while he, w while he was up for nomination to, to, uh, to win the Oscar. Eminem was up for an Oscar in 2003 for Best Original Song. Lose yourself in 8 Mile. He didn't show up. He didn't accept his award in person on Oscars night. He was at home babysitting watching cartoons with his daughter. So I want to hear the argument. Will, Will Smith was nominated for an award. He had to show up. No, he didn't. Eminem didn't show up. And he, and he, and he walked away with best original song. So I don't want to hear that excuse either. The bottom line is, Will Smith embarrassed himself, embarrassed his family, embarrassed the Williams family, embarrassed Denzel Washington, Tyler Berry, and every single freaking black celebrity that was in attendance on Sunday night. You think Sidney Poitier would have done that? Would Sidney Poitier... Would have conducted himself the way Will Smith did on Sunday night. And then followed it up with the crocodile tears and that weak apology afterwards. And nobody cares about his apology to Chris on his stupid Instagram page. My mother said this to me at a young age. Says it says to me all the time. Says, Jai, your apology needs to be just as bold and just and just as passionate and just as public as the offense. Will Smith, take my mother's advice. Go on national television, face to face with Chris Rock, and apologize to him. 
Not sending some stupid asinine paragraph on your Instagram page for you to save face. Because everybody in the world now sees you as box office poison. Black men picking fights with other black men. When in God's name will it stop? Grow the French toast up and cut this foolishness out. Will Smith should be embarrassed. Jada, too, should be embarrassed. And another thing, last thing, take a break and then get back to sports. Last thing, go away. To the Smith, not just Will, the Smith family in general. Every one of you, go away. I'm sick of reading about you in the news. I'm sick of the social media, the red table talk foolishness, Will Smith promoting the dopey movies, his children not knowing what which way is up when they wake up out of bed each and every single morning, Jada and her issues. I'm done. I'm sick of it. I don't want to hear anymore. No, Ain't no, nobody asked. Nobody cares. Keep your personal and your private crap private because, because quite frankly, the rest of the American population could give a goddamn. We really could. It's enough. I don't want to hear about Jada. I don't want to hear about Jada and the alopecia and and the entanglement, red table talk nonsense. I'm sick of Will Smith with his dopey movies. I'm sick. I'm sick of his. I'm sick of his anorexic looking kids. It's enough. I'm sick of it. Sick of it. Enough. Will. Enough. Was none. Done. Done. I don't want to hear anymore. Will Smith, make your public apology to Chris Rock personally and then go away. Every single last one of you is off the grid. Go away. Go away. And I got to deal with Jaden Smith. This is what we do. Really? No, what you do is you, what you, do is you allow your, one of your homeboys to sleep with your mama. That is what you do and, that's, and that is what you allow. Cut the, gar- cut the garbage. Cut the crap. Seriously, it's enough. Somehow, so way Jada Pinkett Smith is a more is a bigger disgrace to the city of Baltimore than the than the city's freaking crime rates and the Baltimore Orioles record of the last five years put together. You can't make it up, folks. You cannot make it up. Back after this, we welcome you back to the Amatelica TIS podcast. You know, one thing that that also I want to say about this whole Will Smith situation. You know, and I don't find it ironic that the that one of the origins of beef was Chris Rock's opening monologue to the twenty sixteen uh to the twenty sixteen Oscars. If you remember correctly, six years ago, one of the big themes around the Oscars of that particular year was the question that was brung about of whether or not Hollywood was racist. And about the Oscars being racist and the lack of black nominees that were up for category to win awards in the Oscars of 2016 and years prior. 
And for Will Smith, and you can count, okay? You can count how many black actors have won best male actor leading role in the 94-year history of the Academy Awards. You can you you can you can count on both your hands how many black how many black actors have won that prestigious award. And here it is. We talk, we yell, we scream, we make a huge fuss, and rightfully so, to raise awareness for more representation when it comes to these awards in in uh in entertainment and the Black Lives Matter and everything else with the stuff that happens in the real world. And yet, on the global stage, you got Will Smith, a black man, goes in his 50s no less, which makes it worse, goes up and slaps and disrespects another black man and Chris Rock. I said to you last segment, biggest signs of disrespect, especially to another man, is spitting on him and slapping him. Because in translation, street code, that's basically telling a, a telling another man without without having to say it that you're a bitch. And that, in and of itself, what makes what Will Smith did so freaking damning, and just so. Uh, just reprehensible and disgusting and egregious. Because here it is, he is on a very short list of black actors that have won lead, lead that have that have won best leading actor for a movie. He's Will Smith joined a very short list on Sunday night, and rather than us talking about him, congratulating him. And and basically celebrating that accomplishment and another barrier of black people within the entertainment industry breaking down, uh, breaking down yet another barrier in the year 2022 in Hollywood. We're instead talking about his fool, his foolish behavior, his foolish behavior, and yet. We as black people, and I'm speaking to the people that are defending Chris Rock when I say this, yet we in the same breath cry racism and get pissed off at white people, and rightfully so, when they turn a deaf ear or a deaf ear or a blind eye to the issues that we yell, scream, and protest about. Yet our own people on a global stage such as the Oscars go on international television and make an, and make a pure ass out of them out of him out of himself. You can't have it both ways. You can't ask and demand the respect of the white man and the predominantly white entertainment industry. And yet within that same venue, you go ahead and you act like a damn child. You cannot have it both ways. And then act like that and then yell and scream and cry bloody murder when when the white people in Hollywood respectfully passive aggressively say, "You know what? We don't want anything to do with you all." 
in a passive-aggressive 21st century way instead of saying, F off, you bleeping niggers. In a more classy 21st century type of way, they want nothing to do with you. Because Will Smith goes out there and does nigger shit like that. Excuse my French. He goes out there and he and, 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 and acts like a complete ass. Complete ass. Respect is earned. It is not given. You got to earn people's respect. It's not going to automatically be given to you because you're Will Smith. Because you make a couple, because you make millions of dollars, you wear designer suits, designer tuxedos, and you've been a celebrity since the 90s, since the late 80s, early 90s. Respect is earned. It is not given. Here it is, black people be screaming y'all about equality and wanting a chance and wanting an opportunity, especially within the realm of Hollywood, because this is the arena that's the that's that we're that we're dealing with this. And yet Will Smith goes out there and does that. And yet in the same breath, we still want white America to accept us and see us as human when he gets up there and acts like an enraged monkey. And acts like a complete and utter thug. Yet we want white America's acceptance, white America's uh, attention, and we want to call out white America on their issues. Which is all perfectly fine. But when you do that, you got to make sure that your I's are dotted, your T's are crossed, and your ducks are in order. Make sure that your nose is clean. Because nobody's going to take you seriously and nobody's going to listen to you. If you're calling out everybody else's shortcomings and they look at you and you're a damn hot mess. And again, for the same people that I still haven't convinced otherwise that are in the Will Smith camp. How about if for the sake of conversation, the Academy Awards took place in Florida with the new stay your ground laws with DeSantis and the fact that you basically can buy a gun and walk around armed without having to go through the machinations of paperwork and licenses and everything else. Suppose Chris Rock says that joke. And Jada, with her Baltimore ass, tells Will Smith to go up there and shoot him. And Will Smith gets, or excuse me, and Chris Rock gets killed in cold blood on international television. Live for everybody to see. Then what? And Will Smith is on trial for murder that everybody saw. If people thought OJ was going to be a trial, that Again, this is a hypothetical, but that would have blown up the internet. Suppose that. Or suppose he slaps Chris Rock and, and Chris Rock from the streets of Brooklyn takes takes out takes out his gun from behind from behind his back 
and shoots Will Smith in response. Then what? Then what? Again, live on international television for everybody to see. Then what do you do? Then what? And don't sit up here and say, well, Jai, you're being extreme. That would never happen. Because it, it, because here's the thing with, with, with violence. It doesn't end. A cuss out, a heated argument can turn into a fist fight that can turn into a shooting match. It's a never-ending black hole when it comes to violence. And it has happened. I can't give direct examples, but I guarantee you, as sure as I'm sitting here, that stuff like that has happened before. Somebody says something that another person doesn't like, they confront them, they resort to fisticuffs, and all of a sudden, guns are drawn, people are shot, feelings are hurt, and, and probably people were, were dead. So don't sit up here and, and give me the, it's an extreme card. That's a bunch of nonsense. 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 Again, if I'm Chris, wouldn't have made the joke. That's just me. And I would have had the wherewithal to lay low with that. But at the same time, Jade is not a random celebrity. She knows Chris and, and she knows Chris and Chris knows her. She sat in the front. And if you're sitting in the front in front of a comedian, you're fair game. And my heart goes out to every single woman that's dealing with alopecia. But it sounds harsh, but I'm going to say it anyway. It's not like that she has stage four pancreatic cancer. She'll live. Walking around the rest of her life with a bald head. She'll live. She'll live. Again, wasn't like Jada had cancer or wasn't like uh, Chris Rock got up there on stage and, 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 call, and called Jada a whore for sleeping with her son's home, one of her son's homeboys. Who, by the way, is an individual that Will Smith should have had that aggressive energy towards. But that's neither here nor there. That's neither here nor there. It was a punk, weak, pathetic, childish move on the part of Will Smith. Don't start. Don't sit up here and tell me I'm wrong. I don't want to hear it. What he did on Sunday night was a complete disgrace. He embarrassed, again, one more time, himself, his family... And every single black celebrity sitting in that theater on Sunday night. And quite frankly, every black celebrity that came before him, including Sidney Poitier. And the thing that a lot of people understanding this, 
what because he's Will Smith he can get away with assaulting somebody because he because his wife not him his wife didn't like a joke that was made so now the, so now it gives people the license to go around and physically assaulting and putting their hands on people over stuff that they don't like really that's what you want in this society today with all the yahoos and the nutcases running around especially the ones with guns that's the precedent that you want to set that you want to set there is an adult mature way to handle it if he and or jada were that bothered by it you grin and bear it you bite the bullet and you address chris either in a commercial break or after the show you don't cuss him out on international television and you damn sure don't get out of your seat and slap him and humiliate him for all to see and everybody's never talking about Will's, pa Will, Will's family, Will's wife, this and that. What about Chris Rock's family? He's divorced, so his ex-wife. But even with his ex-wife, his ex-wife loved Chris Rock for a good amount of years. They share children. I would imagine that she that she cares for Chris somewhat, just as a human being, and 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 as a and and considering the fact that he's a father. He's the father to her to their children. What about Chris Rock's family? What they don't count? F their feelings. Shame on all of you who are who are defending Will's nonsense. Shame. Shame, 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 shame. There's an adult way to handle it. Will Smith handled it like a five-year-old. Handled it like a five-year-old trying to kiss the ass of a per of of a friend at school that he's trying to get in goods with. Weak, and pathetic. Pathetic. You do not handle it that way. This is the people that that got their freedom because of nonviolence with Dr. King. Be adults and use your words. Not everything has to, not every conflict and issue has to be resolved by violence. It's part of the problem with this world today. Because just because we have disagreements, we gotta resort to fisticuffs or blowing each other up. And last thing, good for Chris Rock. You know, Chris Rock took showed a lot of guts and showed a lot of character for not retaliating back. Good for him, because he could have just as easily either slapped Will Smith back, kicked him on his way down the uh, stage steps, or could have, you know, he'd still be on stage roasting him. I don't know if you saw, when you saw it, but he he kind of hesitated and he stammered because he was he was tempted to go there with Will, but he took the high road and chose not to do so. But boy, he would have been a hundred percent justified 
and going there and would have turned the Oscars into, you know, into a into a stand up comedy special where he spends the next, you know, 90 plus minutes of of the of the Oscars ro- roasting the hell out of Will Smith. And he didn't. He chose a high road and he chose to move on. And also credit him for, for the most part, staying with it, coming up with that greatest night in the history of television line and presenting the next award. Give him credit. Handled handled that situation like a professional. Like a professional. Anyway. You put the Oscars to bed and we get back to the world of sports. Couple of things as far as the National Football League is concerned that I want to get on the table before we say goodbye. Uh, Matt Ryan is now an Indianapolis Colt. Last week, the uh, Indianapolis Colts traded for uh, traded for Matt Ryan after 14 seasons with the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, that he is uh, Carson Wentz's pre- uh, Carson Wentz's su- successor as QB one up in Indianapolis. The uh, the um, the Falcons get Matt Ryan's possible successor with signing Marcus Mariota to a two-year contract for uh for eighteen million eighteen point seven million dollars, according to Adam Schefter, as the uh as the Indianapolis Colts see if they can like Brady well not well Brady never really fell off so he's a bad example but like Matthew Stafford with the Los Angeles Rams last year. See if you can get a, a renaissance and a and a dark horse Super Bowl run uh, out of uh, out of a veteran quarterback that's been around the block for a decade plus, and see if he can take you to the promised land. Now the Rams a little bit different, you know. And I and I infamously saying, you know, I don't believe that the Rams are Super Bowl or are a quarterback away from winning the Super Bowl. And turns out in the end that they were. But I genuinely, seriously, do not believe that the uh, that the all the Colts were missing was a Matt was a Matt Ryan type player in order for them to get to the Super Bowl. In large part because of the, in large part because of the fact that the AFC is just so gosh freaking competitive. Unlike the NFC, where unlike the NFC where there's like a couple of teams that are top tier and then everybody else kind of falls in, kind of you know falls in line. You know you got the very good playoff teams, but they're not Super Bowl contenders against the big bad boys of the conference with Brady and the Bucks and the Pack and things of that nature so i so i will kind of re rehash that opinion here not necessarily because of matt ryan per se but because of the fact that uh that the afc is just is just so competitive and because of the fact that matt that matthew stafford wasn't coming in coming into a team that had a ton of weapons you know that uh, cooper cup robert woods uh, Cam Makers, of course, they traded for him before he tore his Achilles, and then of course the playmakers that they had, the playmakers that they have on defense. And I know that's no disrespect to Darius Leonard, and that's no disrespect to Jonathan Taylor, but you know the, the Matthew Stafford is joining a better team and a better roster when he got traded in late January, early February of 2021, then Matt Ryan is is in, in the uh, March of 2022. The 2021 transitioning 2022 Rams on paper with the Stafford trade, better roster than what the Colts have. Better roster. Better roster. 
So we'll see if uh, we'll see if Matt if Matt Ryan can uh, provide a little bit of a uh, provide a little bit of a renaissance and see if he can uh, if the Colts can steal the division in the, in the AFC South and then run the table against the big bad boys of the AFC West, the AFC North, and the Buffalo Bills coming out of the AFC East. But you know, I think that this makes uh, that this makes Indianapolis a five hundred little bit, a little bit above five hundred team. I don't think that they'll win the division. And again, we got plenty of time, and this is before the draft. But knee jerk reaction: I don't think this makes the Colts automatic AFC South champions, and I don't think this puts them into a class of the Bills, the Bengals, the Chiefs the Chargers, and even the Denver Broncos and the Baltimore Ravens as far as the legit uh, the legit cream of the crop Super Bowl contenders coming out of the AFC. Again, that's just me, and things can change between March 29th and, uh, and September, but that's how I feel about it. That's how I feel about it. And speaking of Kansas City Chiefs, Ty, uh, Tyreek Hill is a... Uh, Tyreek Hill is now... A uh, is now a uh, Miami Dolphin as of last week uh, in a team trade. I get you the details here in a minute. And there's a unique perspective to have on this Tyreek Hill trade. Um, uh, they draft, they acquired Tyreek Hill. The Dolphins did for five draft picks, and they gave Tyreek Hill a contract extension. Uh, once my notes load up here on my iPad, I'll be able to give you. The intricate details. They traded. Uh, they traded five draft picks. That's 2022 first round draft pick, second round draft pick, a fourth round draft pick, plus a fourth and a fourth and a sixth round draft picks in next year's draft in 2023. That's Kansas City gets all of that. So if you're doing the math, Kansas City gets two first round draft picks uh, coming up next month uh, in April. Uh, along with uh, along with extra draft capital to, that they have at their disposal later in the draft this upcoming year, and then of course in the 2023 draft with a fourth and a sixth round pick in the Tyree Kill trade, and the Dolphins also gave Tyree Kill a four year, 120 million dollar contract extension, including 72.2 million dollars guaranteed and 52.5 million uh, signing bonus. Here is my and makes uh, uh, makes Tyree kill the highest paid wide receiver, um, highest paid wide receiver in the game. This is my perspective on it. I get. I'll do the Chiefs first. The Chiefs, I understand where their head was at. That you know that paying skill positions on the offensive side of the football like wide receivers and running backs, they are not. Um, they don't result in into winning championships. Signing the signing the star running back, signing the star wide receiver to these big lucrative contract extensions. In the past, they have they they have been proven not to not to be a recipe to winning championships. So I understand that Kansas City went again, and I said it back then, and I'll say it again. This is Patrick Mahomes signing that big, fat, half-a-billion-dollar contract coming back to bite Kansas City in the ass, sucking up all the cap space with that big, fat, giant contract. But anyway, it's not a head nor there. What's done is done. You can't change the past. And Kansas City's now having to pay for it, knowing essentially having to ship. 
I understand they got a good little bundle of draft capital back in return, but you're but but you're taking not a huge risk, but there is an element of risk involved where in drafting a rookie wide receiver to fit into that electric, complicated, high flying, high powering offense with a quarterback that's been around the block for a little bit now and had built up tremendous chemistry with the receiver that you shipped over to Miami. There, there, is, a, there is a decent amount of risk involved in doing that. Because I'll bet, and I understand from a football perspective, not to pay Tyree Kill the big bucks and to, uh, and to, uh, and, and to, and to, um, and to want to, you know, move on from his contract per se. But at the same time, from a team chemistry perspective and from an element of, of X's and O's, not necessarily front office, it, it it's a it's a very, very, very risky move. A move that quite frankly I get, I understand, but I wouldn't have done it. I understand Tyreek wants his money, but I'd be like Byron Pringles out the door. Juju hasn't done anything since he was teammates with AB. By the way, coming off of season-ending uh, collarbone uh, injury, uh, to add on to it, Tyree Kill is a vital part of our offense. Do we really want to give him away for a bunch of... I understand the draft capital is good, and especially a team that competed in an AFC Championship game getting two first-round draft picks. I mean, that doesn't happen every single year. I grant you that, but it, but at the end of the but at the end of the day, it's you know will there will there will there come a time this season, this upcoming fall and next winter where the Chiefs wish that they had Tyree Kill still on the roster. And if you're asking me on March 29th, 2022, the answer to that question is yes. There will come a time where Reed, Bianami, Mahomes, somebody on that on that Chiefs coaching staff or some Chief off Chiefs player, defensive, offensive, doesn't make a difference. Somebody's going to sit back and either say to themselves or say in a private conversation and say. Damn, times like this, I wish we had Tyreek Hill. Because there is going to come a time. Because you can't plug and play a young wide receiver into the most explosive high-flying offenses in all of football. And it's not the same as Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase because Joe Burrow relatively was still a rookie himself having not played his full rookie season in 2020, and the fact that they played with each other for multiple years in college. That's not going to be the scenario with whatever wide receiver the Chiefs, the Chiefs either draft or, or pick up off the street. Juju Smith-Schuster has been playing with Ben Roethlisberger all of his career. And that pathetic, boring, depressing, inept offense. And he joins from one offense to the next. That's a complete 180 of what the Steelers is. Or, excuse me, was. For years. 
I understand, again, the wide receivers and the whole cap scenario, which, again, falls back on Mahomes sucking up the cap space. Again, I told you guys that. Then I said it again. Came back to bite him in the ass, which I called from a mile away that it would. I understand that you can find a wide receiver and you can find a running back and that the quarterback is the rare special. I get that. But how Tyreek Hill fit into that offense and the element that that and and the element uh, of the of the deep threat and the speed threat that he was whenever he was on the field Tyreek Hill you can you can make the argument and I am right now and I wouldn't debate you and I wouldn't say you were wrong in doing so Tyreek Hill is that is the type of wide receiver where he's the only out where he is on a short list of outliers where if he says he wants his money you got to get it you got to give it to him because with that quarterback and that offense, Tyree Kill is a game changer. He can turn it. Listen, second to last game we ever saw him play against Buffalo. Turned the game. He, uh, he single-handedly turned the game on its ear. I understand with the wide receiver point, and I get it. And I get where the Chiefs are coming from and getting rid of him. But at the same time, Tyree kills don't grow on trees. Yeah, you'll find yourself another solid wide receiver, but will he provide the level of offense? Will he provide the level of threat within your offense that Tyree Kill has done for the last couple of years, last few years with Mahomes? And the answer, as of this moment, is no. It's no. And if you're and from Tyree Kill's perspective, I get two schools of thought. I get the school of thought. Listen, I've I've played in two Super Bowls. I've played in AFC Championship games. I've won AFC Championship games. I've played in and won playoff games. I've racked up thousand yard receiving seasons. If I retire tomorrow, people, a good amount of people will vote me into the Hall of Fame. I'm from the Miami area. Let me go get the go get and chase the bag down at South Beach. Might not there won't be as good of a team. Won't be a, won't be as good as the team won't the t- team won't be as good and I'm not joining a Super Bowl contender. But listen, I'm back home and I got my money. And I'm still playing football. And the weather in December and January in Miami it will be better than the weather in December and January up at Arrowhead. So I'm going to just go ahead. Appreciate Kansas City. Love y'all, but I'm a bounce. And I get that school of thought from Tyreek. He's, he's, had, he's had one, two, three, four. And and the four and the four seasons of a thousand yard receiving seasons have come back to back seventeen and eighteen and twenty and twenty one. Played in two Super Bowls, won one of them, three time All Pro, six time Pro Bowler. His legacy, and and how old is uh Tyreek Hill? How old is he? He's he's only twenty eight years of age, and his legacy for the most part is it has been cemented. 
He can retire tomorrow. You can make a solid argument in inducting him into the Hall of Fame. As a fifth-round draft pick, he's done this, and he's only 28. So I get from his perspective where he's got his accomplishment, he got the accomplishments out of the way and the awards and accolades out of the way first. Now he's going for the lavish lifestyle with the huge paycheck, which I get, I understand, and I can respect. But I also get and agree with the other side of the coin, those that say, why would you want to leave Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes and leave a perennial Super Bowl contender to go to a quarterback, to go to a team whose quarterback is a complete 180 of Patrick Mahomes on a team that's not a Super Bowl contender at the moment, nor will be for the next few years or so with a first-year head coach of the boot? I can understand that side of the card and that side of the coin. Why not stay in Kansas City, make less money, but stay there and continue to build your legacy and continue to stack your awards and stack your accolades and see if you can get yourself another Super Bowl championship with Kansas City to avenge your defeat in 2019. I get and I agree with that argument too. Just like how I get and and agree with the argument of people saying, you know what, It, it doesn't feel good. And it hurts in the short term, but it was a smart move for Kansas City to avoid paying Tyreek the big bucks. And in, and in the same breath, I can also agree on the flip side of people saying, "What? What? Saying what? Are Kansas City? What are you doing? You're nuts. You're crazy for doing this. How can you replace Tyreek Hill? How can you get rid of Tyreek Hill? He's such a vital part of your offense. He's a special type of player. This, that, and the other. I can agree." And see and clearly understand both sides of the arguments. Why Tyreek Hill should have stayed, and why should and why it was wise for him to leave, and how I can see and agree with the people that think Kansas City are out of their mind for getting rid of him, and I can see and understand and agree with the people that say it hurts, but it is a business, Kansas City, and it's an unpopular opinion to say it in Kansas City. But Kansas City was smart was smart to get rid of him and avoid paying him the big time contract. I get that too. Now, for the people that are gonna that sat there and say, oh, well, Tyree Kill is gonna miss Patrick Mahomes. He will in the element of playing in playoff games, and he wakes up the last Sunday in the month of January and he realizes that he's not playing in an AFC championship game, he'll miss him then. But as far as this play, as long as Tua can get the ball to Tyreek, Tyreek's going to be fine. As long as Tua can stay upright and he can get the ball to Tyreek, it doesn't matter if he's if he's running crossing routes underneath, curl routes, screens, doesn't matter. As long as he can get the ball to Tyreek Hill, he's going to be all right. Because when many people under, fail to forget and, conv- and conveniently don't bring up is that we knew who Tyree Kill was before we knew who Patrick Mahomes was. 2017, when they had Alex Smith at quarterback, Tyree Kill caught 75 passes for 1,800, or excuse me, 75 receptions, 75 catches for 1,183 receiving yards 
and seven touchdowns. That was with Alex Smith. He put up a thousand yard receiving season. We've known who Tyreek Hill is as a football player for a minute. Before Mahomes even showed up and came on the scene. Same thing goes for Travis Kelsey. So when people participate and paint the picture, oh well, Mahomes makes Hill and makes Travis Kelsey, that, that's that's a that's a disingenuous argument. Does Mahomes make them better? Absolutely. But let's not act like that Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey weren't scrubs and, 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 and that Travis that Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill were scrubs and weren't pro bowlers before Mahomes came onto the scene. Cause that that cause A A that's false and incorrect and that's not fair. The the Chiefs the Chiefs were were a competitive and solid playoff team every single year with Alex Smith. It wasn't until Mahomes came onto the scene to where to where Mahomes took Kansas City from perennial annual playoff contender to Super Bowl contender. That's it. That's it, and that's all. And lastly, the NFL with the overtime rule change stating that, you know, and this is only for the uh only for the playoffs so this will go into effect where both teams have to have a possession, both teams have to have an offensive possession, uh and then and then, you know, both teams have to have an offensive possession and so to put it like to put it to you like this, if team A scores on the opening possession of overtime, team B has an opportunity to score a touchdown to tie the game again and keep the game moving, or they lose the game. So if they go three and if they if they uh if a team stupidly opts to kick a field goal when they're down seven or um or uh, the, or they score a touchdown and miss the extra point, or they fail to score a touchdown and the team that got first possession did score a touchdown, then the game is over. If the team and this would apply anyway, even without the rule change, if the team if the team that gets the open opening possession goes down the field kicks a field goal, if the team kicks a field goal to match it, it goes into sudden death. Or if they score a touchdown, the game is over. But it takes away the element of the team getting the opening possession, going out and field, scoring a touchdown, and winning the game on the opening possession. It takes that away. Takes it away, which I don't like. Play defense for the 9,000th time. Enough of the gimmicks, enough of the gimmicky, and people being head over heels in love with the offense, and offensive players this, and offensive players that, and poor Josh Allen didn't touch the football. So what? If his defense could get off the field in 13 seconds, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Play defense. Play defense. If, J- if Sean McDermott knew better enough to with the swim kick, and and Leslie Frazier and his defense could have would have been able to get off the field with 13 seconds instead of leaving Hale and Kelsey wide the hell open in the middle of the field, we wouldn't. This this rule change wouldn't have happened. And again, people ironically, conveniently forget that the next week, Bengals Chiefs win in overtime. Bengals played defense. Bengals won the game. It's not offense versus offense. My defense has to do something to stop you. Your defense has to do something to stop you. 
I believe the only exception to the rule is that if on a offenses, if on a team's opening offensive possession of overtime, if they're somehow backed up in their own territory uh, and and they get and they get sacked or tackled in the, in their own end zone for safety, the game is over then. I wonder if. I wonder if it still applies where if where if on the opening possession of overtime the offense gets the ball and they turn it over to the defense and the defense scores a touchdown. I wonder if the uh, I wonder if the game uh, ends on that, which it should. I'm not positive. I look into it, but it but it should. If it isn't, then that's a disgrace. Because the offense has a, because the offense that got oh, that got opening possession of the overtime had the chance. They screwed it over. They screwed the pooch. They lost the football defense. Did their job, recovered it, and or or intercepted it and took it to the end zone. The game should end right there. At least I hope. I le- at least I hope it does. But anyway, that's your NFL update for to close out this show. Another episode of the I'm TIS podcast is in the books. If you like what you heard, new to the program, please do not hesitate to subscribe. Follow your boy on Twitter and Instagram at the J Shield. Follow the show on Instagram at Amatel underscore podcast and the show on Twitter at Amatel underscore it TIS. It is your boy Jai Shields signing off, and I will talk to you later in the week to preview the final four. Y'all stay safe. Y'all take care. See you.